Hello, everyone. Shabbat Shalom. And, and hey, everybody. You know that uh, that Bible verse where it says we are in the world but not of the world. Everybody know that verse? Yeah. Yeah. Guess what? No, you don't. Uh, because there's no such verse. You know how the Lord works in mysterious ways. Now people are afraid to say anything. Just go with me on it. You know how the Lord works in mysterious ways. Good. You're right. He does, but you won't find a Bible verse that says that either. This being Labor Day weekend, I thought we would have a little bit of fun. And look at some verses that use the term, a light to the nations, which is also the title of my message this morning. Now listen, this is when shit, there really are verses in scripture that use the wording, a light to the nations. What's not clear is who or what is that light to the nations. The term is used a lot, especially in the Messianic movements, as a reference to the land or the country or the nation of Israel. So when people say, a light to the nations, put the words before that, Israel is a light to the nations. And everybody does it and everybody says it. For example, uh, I, I went online on social media, everybody's got something that uses the terminology of light to the nations, but right before that phrase, it uses Israel. Israel, 75 years old. Israel is a light to the nations. Israel, a light to the nations. Israel, a light to the nations. A light to the nations. Israel, a light to the nations. How about that one in the upper left-hand corner? In case you don't know where Israel is, there it is on the map. And look at the light coming out from the nation of Israel. So there's no shortage of books and, and promotional materials and CDs and videos and all those other things telling us that Israel, the nation of Israel, the land, the country, is the light to the nations. But what exactly does that mean? And does the land of Israel really fit the bill as so many people say that it does? And most importantly, does the Bible actually say that Israel, the land, is the light to the nations like everybody thinks that it does? Well, the first time the term light to the nations comes up is actually in Isaiah chapter 42, verse 6. That's my hint to you. You can write in one hand. You can open up your Bible in the other hand. Please turn to the 42nd chapter of the book of Isaiah. Trust me, it'll be worth it for two reasons. Will I have the verses up on the screen? Sure. Will they always be exact? No. So make sure that you look in your Bibles. And also, we're going to be actually going to a couple of places in Isaiah. So once you go to Isaiah 42, you won't really have that far to travel to some of the other places that we're looking at. Now, in Isaiah chapter 42, let's take a look at verse 6. Because as I said, this chapter, this verse, the very, very first place where the term light to the nations is used. And here's how it is. Isaiah 42, 6 says, I, the Lord, have called you for a righteous purpose, and I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and appoint you to be a covenant for the people and, say it with me, a light to the nations. Now, according to Isaiah and this verse, who or what is the light to the nations? Well, the overwhelming answer from people is, Israel, the state of Israel, is the light to the nations. And, and so many people, when they hear light to the nations, they say, yes, it's Israel, referring to the land 
and the people. For example, let me show you the words of Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu in 2017. He gave a speech to the UN General Assembly. He was talking all about the accomplishments of the state of Israel, how Israel is first in technology and so many things and leading the world, and that's true. And here's what he said in part of that message. He said, we look ahead with pride to the remarkable contributions Israel will continue to make to all nations. You look around you and you will see these contributions every day. In fact, I want you to see this slide, so if that helps, I'll do that for you. It's only going to go back a little bit, but that's okay. As the prophet Isaiah said, I made you a light unto the nations. 2,700 years after Isaiah spoke those prophetic words, Israel is becoming a rising power among the nations, and at long last, its light is shining across the continents. Beautiful words, of course. Netanyahu sees Isaiah's words in Isaiah 42, verse 6, as referring to the nation, or the country, or the people of Israel being a light to other nations and other countries. But if we look at the verses in Isaiah that come right before it, we, we see something else. In speaking of the light to the nations, let me show you Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 5. We just looked at Isaiah 42, chapter 6, so stay where you are. Isaiah 42, 6 talks about the light to the nations. Isaiah 42, 1 through 5 tells us a little bit more about it, and here's what it says. My soul, actually, my soul delights. Uh, ooh, you know what? Hold on. I see that there's a, a words cut off on the top. You can't see them, but I can. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. I have put my ruach, my spirit on him. It's talking about the light to the nations. Uh, he will not cry out or raise his voice or make his voice heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not be disheartened or crushed until he establishes justice on earth. The islands will wait for his Torah. Thus says God Adonai, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and ruach his spirit to those who walk in it. Now, if something is referred to as a light to the nations, that terminology means it is to be seen as a guide to others on how to live righteously and walk out a holy life. Now, these verses that just describe the light of the nations are clearly referring to an individual, not to a country. Many believe that the Messiah, of course, is to come. We do and he will usher in world peace. The good will be rewarded, the evil will be judged, justice will be served by him. And that's right. Look, we are Messianic Jewish believers in Yeshua. We also know, of course, of the traditional Jewish community. Both groups believe in the coming of the Messiah. The only difference is the traditional Jewish community believes that He's coming the first time, and we believe that he already did, and he will be making his second appearance. But here's the point. If you correctly say that justice will come to the world through Yeshua, 
and that he is the light to the nations, as these verses just told us, then you can't also say that justice will come to the world through the nation of Israel, and that the nation of Israel can be the light to the nations. It doesn't fit. I want you to think about this. If the nation of Israel were able to bring peace and justice, what would any of us need a Messiah for? You can only set the example for justice if you yourself are fully just and without sin. Can anybody say that about Israel? No, we can't. So therefore, no nation of people on earth, whether it's Israel or any other nation, can possibly fit the bill of being a light to the nations. There's only one who can. Isaiah 49 that's a hint for you to go there now. I told you you wouldn't have to turn too far. Is another place that speaks about the light to the nations. In fact, it's referenced much more than even Isaiah 42 is. So, go with me as I see some of you already are to Isaiah chapter 49. I'm going to start by reading verses 3 through 4 and then verse Six. I'm doing that intentionally. I'm skipping verse five intentionally uh, because it'll make it easier for you and for all of us to connect the dots. So we'll look at Isaiah chapter 49, verses one through four, and then verse six. Here's what the verses say. Listen to me, islands. Pay attention, peoples far away. Adonai called me from the womb. From my mother's belly he named me. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand he hit me. He made me a polished arrow. He has hidden me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Yes, I know the word Israel is mentioned there, but it's not referring to the nation or people. We'll talk about that. Let's continue now. But I said, I have labored in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing in futility. Yet surely the justice due to me is with Adonai, and my reward with my God. So he says, it is too trifling a thing, or is it too small a thing, that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and restore the preserved ones of Israel. So I will give you as a light for the nations, that you should be my salvation to the end of the earth. All right, we know two things from these verses. Number one, the light to the nations is again referred to as a servant. Keep that in mind. It's going to be important in a couple of minutes. And number two, the light to the nations is referred to here as Israel. Okay, Rabbi, you've confused me. I thought you said Israel is not the light to the nations. That's right, I did. The country or the nation of Israel is not. But the Messiah, who is also known by, and who also goes by the term light to the nations, very much is. How else would you explain verse 6, where the servant who is Israel comes to restore Israel? Obviously, the first reference is to Yeshua. The second reference is to the nation that he wants to restore to a righteous relationship with the Lord. Here's an example of how scripture uses Israel as a term for the Messiah. It's in Hosea 11.1. 1. 
It says, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. This is not referring to the nation or the country of Israel. We know who it's referring to because Hosea's prophecy actually was fulfilled some seven, eight hundred years later in this verse. Matthew chapter 2, the last part of verse 13 through verse 15. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, he took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so it was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet Hosea, out of Egypt I called my son. Why is it important for us to know who the light to the nations is? Because for so long the focus has been on the nation of Israel. When all along, it should have been on Yeshua. This has been going on for 2,000 years. And in Israel, in Yeshua's day, you knew that the people, obviously, they wanted a guide for righteousness, to live a holy life. But they didn't trust, for the most part, many of them trusted in Yeshua, but many of them did not. Many of them believed that in order to become righteous, you had to just trust in your government. How many of you know that didn't work then? It doesn't work now. The people trusted in the nation of Israel. They looked at Israel as a righteous vine and a righteous branch. They said Israel is the light to the nations. Israel is the one that we should trust in. And of course, they were surely let down. And the feeling then was, well, you know, um, if I observe all the feasts and festivals, and I keep Shabbat, and I eat kosher, and I love the land of Israel. I'm going to heaven when all this is said and done, because I've gone, done more good and bad. And that's how my salvation is assured. And guess what? Many people still believe that that's the way it is today. I know folks who've gone on an Israel tour and have come back believing that they now have a greater and more righteous standing before the Lord. Why? Because they came into relationship with him there? No, because they visited Capernaum and had a falafel for crying out <laughs> Tomorrow we'll have shawarma. The more I try, the more I experience, the holier I am. People actually come back saying this. Did I ever tell you, I have to share this with you. Some of you have heard this, some of you have not. I was on an Israel tour about five, six years ago. And then we had a lot of first-timers on this tour, and one of the first-timers, sweet, sweet lady, she was, you know, just walking with us, and, and she'd never been to Israel before, and she regarded, obviously, Hebrew as the holy language, the language of God. And so I think we're walking over to, uh, we're in uh, Jerusalem, and we're walking to the traditional spot of the Garden Tomb. And as she's walking, she sees something on the street. It's like this circular metal object, and, and she picks it up. And she says to me, she says, Rabbi, is, is this Hebrew writing? And I said, yes, it is. She said, oh, it's the language of God. She said, Rabbi, what does it say? And I said, Coca-Cola. <laughs> True story. Look, our righteousness doesn't come 
from involving ourselves in a land or a government or a people. Our righteousness comes by giving the glory to God alone. Without the Messiah, none of this stuff matters. Let me point out something else that we just read that does. Both of the readings in Isaiah, in Isaiah 42 and Isaiah 49, said that the light of the nations is God's servant. We know that the servant that God was talking about was Yeshua, and that it can't possibly be the nation of Israel or the country of Israel. So hold that thought. In Isaiah chapter 53, you don't need to turn there. In fact, I prefer you didn't. Just listen for a minute. We're told of someone who would suffer and die for our sins. It says in verse 5 in that chapter in Isaiah 53, for he was pierced for our transgressions, he was bruised for our sins, and that by his stripes or by his wounds we would be healed. The chapter identifies the one who does this for us as God's servant. Right. The same God's servant that was mentioned as a light to the nations in Isaiah 42, and the same God's servant that was mentioned as a light to the nations in Isaiah 49. Now, many in the traditional Jewish community say that Isaiah 53 is not a messianic prophecy. It's not a reference to the Messiah. The servant spoken of there, they say, is the nation of Israel. How many of you know it's a problem? And it's a problem because not only have our readings in the previous chapters in Isaiah proved otherwise, but think about this. The nation of Israel cannot atone nor suffer for the sins of itself. Nobody can. Here's another reason why the nation of Israel cannot possibly be the light to the nations. Even though everybody says Israel is the light to the nations. No, it's not. Look again at the last part of Isaiah 49, verse 6. So I will give you as a light for the nations. Okay, let's say it's the land of Israel. Get ready. Here's what it's got to do. Israel has got to be my salvation to the ends of the earth. We got a problem now, don't we? So the light to the nations will spread the message of salvation in Yeshua. Okay. Aside from the fact that Yeshua alone is the light to the nations, the state of Israel is automatically disqualified considering the vast majority of her people are not saved. So the light to the nations will bring salvation. It can't be the nation of Israel because, folks, you can't bring what you don't have. That's right. That's right. Now, the brief Hanashah or the New Testament wraps this all up in a nice neat package in a story in the book of Acts. This one you can turn to, chapter 26 in the book of Acts. Let me give you a little background on the way. Wherever Paul or Rabbi Shaul went, he gave his testimony. He, he went to so many different places, and practically when he got off the boat, he said, let me tell you about who my Savior is. Nothing held him back, praise the Lord. Now, when he did this, and he got to a place where a lot of Jews were living, a lot of them, understandably, the traditional Jewish people got upset. And they decided that the only way to get him to stop talking and spreading the message was to put him in prison. The problem was they couldn't find anything to accuse him with because he wasn't breaking the law. So they didn't know what to do. And they, they finally said, well, why don't we just accuse him of something that he didn't do. And one of those false accusations 
was where the Jewish community accused Paul of teaching other Jews to reject Jewish law and, and, and Torah and custom. So, in order to prove them wrong, one day Paul meets four Jewish men in the temple, and they are finishing up their Nazarite vow. And according to Torah, when you're finishing up your Nazarite vow, you have to have your head shaved. But listen, that costs money. So Paul said, listen, I'm going to prove to the world that I'm not doing away with Torah. You guys, you get your head shaved. Don't worry. I'll take care of the cost. That should clear the matter up. And it did. It cleared up that false accusation. But everything was great until the Jews came up with another false accusation. They said, okay, well, yeah, you know, Paul was at the temple and he paid for them to have their heads shaved. And, and, you know, it's in accordance with Torah law. But, but, the Jews said, well, we think that those four guys were actually not Jewish and they were Greek and they shouldn't have been in the temple and they defiled it. It's all Paul's fault. And so he got put on trial. And like the trial that Yeshua went through, there are some similarities here. Paul goes from one magistrate to another official, to this governor, to this procurator, to this one, to that one. And every time he goes to someone, they all say the same thing. We don't know what to do with you. Go on to somebody else. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? So, by the time we get to Acts 26, where you've turned to, this kangaroo court has made its way to the then Roman governor, Festus and King Agrippa. They let him speak. And when he's done, it's interesting, they, they, they both have interesting comments. The governor of Festus, when Paul finishes up, basically says, okay, listen, um, I know you're passionate about what you believe. I think you're a nutcase, but I can't find fault with you. And King Agrippa says, he says, you know, um, I know you're passionate about what you believe, and I think you're trying to convert me. It's not going to work, but just so you know, I don't think you're guilty of anything either. And so they both decide to let him go. But listen now to part of Paul's defense from Acts 26, verses 22 through 23. It says, Paul says, Since I have had God's help, to this day I stood here testifying to both, small and great. I'm saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said was going to happen. That the Messiah was to suffer and that being first to rise from the dead, he would do what? Proclaim light both to our people and to the nations. Case closed. Paul here is referencing what we just read in Isaiah and fulfilling in part the prophecy of Yeshua being the one who is the light to the nations. Not Israel, not the Jewish people who don't yet believe. So finally, finally, the matter is settled. Not Sorry to tell you, but I, your rabbi, am about to throw a wrench into everything that I just taught you. Actually, better than me, I'm going to let Yeshua do it. Because after I've spent so much time showing you that the Bible says Yeshua is the light of the nations, not the Jewish people, and that the light of the nations is the one that brings salvation, check out what Yeshua says in John 4.22. To a woman he runs into as he's going through, journeying through an area north of Judea called Samaria. First, she says to him, listen, I'm a Samaritan. We Samaritans have our temple. It's right over here. You guys have your temple in Jerusalem. That's nice. 
You worship at your temple in Jerusalem, that's fine. You want to be wrong, you go ahead. We have our temple here in, in Samaria, and our temple is in the right place. So she sees him, she knows he's Jewish, and she's basically saying, oh, welcome to Samaria. By the way, we're right and you're wrong. And so Yeshua basically responds very, very diplomatically. If I could put what he, what he said into words today, it would be like, listen, I'm not going to split hairs over arguing with you on, on who's got the, the right temple right now, whose temple is legitimate. Because we can get into that argument. We could say yours is right, mine is wrong, yours is right. But guess what? If you don't believe in the free gift of salvation through the only one who provides it through the living water and the sacrifice that he made for you, if you don't believe that, you can worship at either place. It doesn't matter. It's not going to do anything for you. See, there's something more important than the location of a temple. It's the location of your heart. Yes. And so Yeshua basically says that to her. And then in John 4.22, he says this to her. Now remember, light of the nations, not Israel, not the Jewish people. Light of the nations brings salvation. And then John 4.22, Yeshua says this. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. Oh, you've got to be kidding. Okay, <laughs> wait, what? Okay, I'm sorry, time out. <laughs> there goes my sermon. We were doing so well. Let's go to Mozi. No, hold on, hold on. Why does one place in the Bible say that salvation comes from the light to the nations, Yeshua alone, yet another part of the Bible Yeshua himself says, no, salvation comes from the Jews. Because in reality, both are true. Here's why. On the one hand, the gift of salvation comes from Yeshua alone. And the Bible makes this crystal clear in places like this, everybody. Acts 4.12. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Or, oh, let me give you another one. How about John 14, 6, where Yeshua says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except for what? Israel? No, maybe. So if our salvation comes from Yeshua and no one else, why in the world is Yeshua saying to the Samaritan woman in John 4, 22, that salvation is of the Jews? Well, the short answer is, Salvation is from the Jews ultimately leads back to the greatest Jew who ever lived. That's right. That's right. Yeshua himself. Well, the nation of Israel is the means, or let me use the term, the conduit through which God brought our Messiah and light of the nations to the world. Israel is not our Messiah, nor our light to the nations. Yes, here's what you need to know. Our salvation springs from a Jewish fountain in Israel, but it is not the fountain that gives the gift of salvation to us. It's the living water that flows out of it. That's the difference. So here's one way to understand how this works. From the Jewish people, we have, and this is what it means when Yeshua said salvation is of the Jews. This is the root of it, everybody. The Jews gave to the world the scriptures, the prophets, the patriarchs, Mary, Joseph, Yeshua, the 12 disciples, the apostles. Our Bible is a Jewish book. 
What this means is that God's plan of redemption for the world began with Israel and the Jewish people. Let me expand on this. Romans 3.2 says God entrusted the word of the Lord to Israel. And every one of the writers of the Bible, by the way, except maybe for Luke, were Jewish. God sent Yeshua where? To Israel. In Romans 10.4, listen to what Yeshua says. Romans actually 9.4. They are Israelites. To them belong the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of Torah and the temple service and the promises. Now, these are Israel's spiritual blessings given to them by God through a covenant relationship as, yes, his chosen people, but... It doesn't make the Jews better than anybody else because salvation comes to the nations, to all of you, from the root of God's covenant with the Jewish people. And because of that covenant, all who believe in Yeshua, no matter who you are, are equal covenant partners who are equally chosen, just in different ways, and equal inheritors of the promises of God, which means that all who believe share in all of these blessings. And by the way, before you start thinking that the Jews are superior to everyone else because of their covenant status with God, may I remind you that they broke that covenant? And may I remind you that, again, that still today, the vast majority of the people who are God's chosen have chosen not to choose him. So, knowing that, why would God have made a covenant with them, knowing full well they would reject him because it would be through their rejection it would have to be through their rejection that the gift of salvation could and would go to the nations and the bible backs this up everybody let me explain acts 13 is where you want to go now there shaul and barnabas a jewish man from cyprus who joined shaul or paul on the mission field are speaking in a town called Pisidian Antioch. It's, uh, you can still see the ruins there in Western Turkey. And uh, so they're in Western Turkey, and it is Shabbat, and they are in a Jewish synagogue. Not surprising, since just as God chose Israel and revealed himself first to Israel and sent the Messiah first to Israel, it's only fitting that and now in the spread of the good news to new places, that Paul and Barnabas go to the Jewish people first. So the message that they give is so well received that the leaders of the synagogue says, listen, Paul, Barnabas, I mean, we want more. You guys got to come back next Shabbat. And they do. And the following Shabbat, it's a good thing they did because virtually the whole city turns out this time. The traditional Jewish leaders at the same time are watching what's going on, and they are upset, and they start getting jealous. Why? Because everybody's at that synagogue listening to the words of Yeshua, while the other rabbis there are twiddling their thumbs like, hey, you're taking all my people to try to convert them. So they're upset, and what they start doing is they start getting jealous, and they start contradicting everything that Paul and Barnabas are saying. We join the scene now in Acts 13 and verse 46, where it says, both Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, listen to this, it was necessary for the word of God to be spoken to you Jewish people first, since you reject it and you judge yourself unfit for eternal life, tongue in cheek, behold, now we're going to bring it to the Gentiles. Let's pause for a second. This is major. 
Do you realize that God is using and had to orchestrate it this way? To use the failure of Israel so that salvation could be brought to the Gentiles. Do you realize that the impetus here to bring the good news of Yeshua to the Gentiles is because God knew that the Jews would reject it and the Gentiles would thus then embrace it? What a weird plan. Because it could have been a lot easier. It didn't have to happen this way. I mean, this would be such a much easier story if this happened. What, what, what God could have done is he could have he could have had Paul and Barnabas go to the synagogue, get all that you say, and then go to, you know, the Gentiles, get the Gentiles saved. Done. Everybody's saved. Everybody's happy. But instead, he made it where many Jews rejected the word. The Gentiles got saved. But then here's what God says. It says, and this is crazy. He says, listen. I know the Jews rejected and the Gentiles got saved, but hey, don't worry. It's okay because all Israel is eventually going to be saved anyway. Okay? So if they're all going to be saved anyway, why not just save them now? Why delay the inevitable and have Jewish people reject the good news? Well, the Bible actually answers that for us through Paul's words in Romans eleven fifteen. He said, for since there, the Jewish rejection meant that God offered salvation to the rest of the world, their acceptance will be even more wonderful because it will be life for those who are dead. So somehow, in some way that maybe we can't fully understand, God used Jewish rejection of Yeshua intentionally as a means of bringing the Gentiles to him. And that plan is so much better and so much sweeter than if Jews had accepted Yeshua in the first place. Because since the Jewish people initially rejected their Messiah, how much greater a thing will it be when they finally accept him? Because when that does happen, the result will one day be worldwide revival and all will worship God like Psalm 86 9 tells us they will could that be why this is the way it had to happen and by the way before I close this answers another question for us and it's one that comes out of reading this verse Romans 1 16 man does this one start fights Paul says for I'm not ashamed of the good news the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, first to the Jew and also to the Gentile, the Greek. Jonathan Bernus, I remember, and he, he uses this verse a lot. One time he said it on one of the Jewish voice TV shows. But he, he said these words, but he didn't tell anybody where they came from. And even before the show was over, people called to complain. And because I was at the office... And because the receptionist said, they need to speak to a rabbi. Mike said, okay, give me a call. And so I picked up the phone and spoke to one of those people. They said, I am offended by what Jonathan Burnus just said about, you know, gospel, the gospel is going to the Jew first. That, that I am offended and insulted. Where did he get that nonsense from? I said, um, he was quoting the Bible. Right out of Romans 1.16. Guy said, no, it's not. God would never say that. And I'm thinking, you know, look, it's so easy. Why don't you just, before you say that, why don't you open up your Bible? Take a look. Prove me wrong, please. The way that he perceived the verse 
is that, well, the Jewish people received the good news before the Gentiles because they were superior to everyone else. And if you're not familiar with understanding what's going on in culture and context, you might think that too. And everybody says, wow, the Jews are so much special. They get all the good stuff before anybody else. Folks, turn the page. Because they also get the bad stuff before everybody else. Look at Romans 2.9. There will be trouble and hardship for everyone that does evil. To us first. And then also to the Greek. So why the good news to the Jews first? One reason is, had Shaul, listen to me, this is key. Had Shaul spoken to the Gentiles first, the Jews would not have even listened to him. Because the Jews understood and believed that the message would come first to their people. Let me say this again. Gentiles have their salvation as a result of Israel's rejection and sin. Rabbi God would never say that. Don't test me. We just went through Romans 1.16. God says exactly what I just told you. to Romans 11.11. So, what's the take home here? Gave you a lot of head knowledge. It's not good enough. What do we do with it? A couple of things. For starters, you realize that while it's tough to define exactly what life from the dead is, it must be a really good thing, but it doesn't just come by sitting around doing nothing and listening to messages. Look, if you're coming to Tree of Life because you want to learn about the Jewish foundations of the Christian faith, awesome. I'm glad you're here. You are welcome. Please keep coming. But please also know that with that comes responsibility. It's a beautiful one. It's where you take what you're learning here and you use it to share the good news with the Jewish people and everybody else, by the way, to play your role in God's end-time prophetic plan of salvation. Let me close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that it, it, it tells us things that sometimes we have one perception of, we come to believe it means one thing, but we realize it means another. Father, we pray for clarity in what we read in your scriptures, Lord. And we also pray, Father, and first of all, we thank you that all, all are equal in Yeshua. All. There is no distinction. We know, Lord God, that in the word when you said that there's neither Jew nor Greek, that it can be easily understood to say, hey, wait a minute, I'm Jewish. Or I'm Gentile. Don't take that away from me. He's not. He's just simply all letting us know that it's not about labels that we seek to wear. It is about acknowledging the one and only label that is worn by only one. Our Savior, Redeemer, Messiah, God, King, and everything, Yeshua. And it's in his name that we close in prayer and the whole congregation agreed and said. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. A couple of minutes.